All right, if we could go ahead and take our seats. I have the uh, the honor of introducing our guest speaker, our guest minister today. He and I have a lot in common. Uh, his name starts with a J. My name starts with a J. <laughs> That's a lot, right? His last name is Reyes. My last name is Reyes. He's 46. I'm 46. I will be 47 in August. Let's not, come on now. Let me enjoy 46, please. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> um, you have four kids, right? I have four kids, but your kids are a lot older than mine. <laughs> and there's something else that we have. I mean, temporarily speaking, temporal in this world, is we both suffer from what's called chronic fatigue syndrome. And Jason has been an incredible blessing to me over these past few months uh, as I've gotten to know him, as he's had to walk through that journey of suffering also. Um, from time to time, we'll contact each other and just encourage one another in our trial and keep and point each other to Jesus because it can be very, dehib- uh, what's the word I want to use? I can't talk. You're exactly right. You said it. Thank you. And and very challenging for us uh, when we struggle with this, um, these symptoms. And these symptoms are very hard to understand. A lot of people don't get it and don't understand. And sometimes, so, so, sometimes you feel like you're suffering alone. And then when you meet someone who has the same thing you have, uh, it, it's very encouraging to know that you're not going crazy, you know, in your head. And I just want to say, Jason, I love you, and I thank God for you, and I love your passion for the gospel, and I am so thankful for your care for me as a brother in Christ and how you have been praying for me uh, in my situation, and and I want you to know that I've been praying for you, and we are so honored and thankful to have you here at Christ Community, coming from New Jersey. So, Jason, come on up and uh, give us the gospel. Good morning. Well, it is it is really nice to be able to be here uh, with you guys and um, to be from a sister church, uh, one that that planted this church that sent CB and Shannon out a few years ago. What has it been? Twelve years now, or eleven years? Fourteen years? Is it that long? Sixteen. Good lord, time flies. Um, have great. Uh, affection uh, for CB and for Shannon. Um, uh, have a lot of family connection. I met CB uh, at the birth of my twins, um, and he came with my brother-in-law. They were rooming at the Pastors co- uh, College together, and uh, have over the years have just enjoyed a lot of relationship with CB uh, and with Shannon. Uh, and they are they are dear dear couple, and I appreciate the way you guys have taken care of them. And I really do want to commend you for the way you guys are taking care of John. Uh, and his family as well. Um, I, I love this brother, and he loves you. Every time we're talking, it is always about this church. Um, and the frustrations that he may feel physically are, are that he feels like he can't do as much as he wants to for you. And, uh, and I, I hear that. I appreciate
appreciate that. I can commiserate with that as well. Uh, but I appreciate his affection for this church. Um, and it is great to be able to be here. It's great to be able to be here with my daughter. I don't get oftentimes just uh, daughter-dad time. And so on Father's Day, what a treat. It's good to be with my daughter, Maggie. Um, well, I want to transition. We're going to be in a uh, passage of Scripture that is, or at least a book of the Bible, that is not too familiar uh, to folks. Some people, especially if, uh, if you're in Christian circles, are either too eager to be in Revelation or too scared to be in the book of Revelation. Okay, so you may fall in one of two camps. Those who are too eager, there's probably a reason why they may not uh, or should not really be super eager because they're trying to take the secret things, the mysteries uh, that are contained within there. And there are some things that are just difficult to grapple with and understand, uh, but they go ahead and with surety and confidence say, this is what's going to happen. Um, and, and those are the folks that probably shouldn't be as eager. Um, but anyways, there is so much in the book of Revelation that I want to get to. But before I do, I want to just find out just a little bit about this church. Have you ever had something that you're really looking forward to? Um, and really, everything else within your circumstantial sphere paled in comparison because you knew there's a day coming when I'm going to do X, Y, or Z. Maybe it's a trip. Uh, I know for myself, uh, my wife and I, a few years ago when we celebrated our 20th anniversary, we went away, booked a trip uh, to an island for an all-inclusive trip, uh, vacation, and um, something where I think it, honestly, I think it's the closest you can get to heaven. Um, because you have people just waiting on you hand and foot. I mean, whatever you want, boom, it happens, okay? Uh, and, and it's great. It really is a, a wonderful time. And I remember there was, a, there was so many things that were going on around this period of time. And so we were counting the days down. So all of a sudden something's going on. And either my wife or myself, we would encourage one another to say, look, 60 more days. We won't be dealing with it. It's fine. Then it was 30 days. Then it was 15 days. And then it was the night before, and we literally, we could not sleep at all uh, because we were so excited, and partially, we didn't want to miss our flight either. Uh, and so we were just really amped up and excited to be there. Now, can any of you relate to some sense of anticipation? Maybe it's youth camp that's coming up, um, or, or anything else. Anybody relate with that? Something that you're going to experience that you're just looking forward to with great anticipation because it's going to be heavenly. Well, today we're actually going to be looking at something for Christians that is a fact, that is real, and that gives us something to look forward to. It is truly, truly heavenly. Now, this book, I want to give you a little bit of background. It is written to seven churches. Now, these, these churches, what we know is that we were, they were experiencing persecution. They were embroiled with um, those who were teaching false doctrine. There was the seduction of material affluence that was taking place. And then there was also the temptation to let go of their allegiance to Christ and the gospel just so that they could fit in with the culture around them. Now, if you think about the context of these seven churches, our day and age is not that different, is it? See, we live in the great American West with the American dream that if you just attain enough, life is going to be so good. It's going to make you happy. Also, there's this allure as well in our day and age where where we live in a postmodern, post-Christian age. And I, I would say, actually, I'd argue, it's good that we're post-Christian. 
the worst thing, gospel-centered wise, ever that's happened historically is that the church has been accepted by culture. Because it makes you comfortable. You just fit in. Well, right now, we're experiencing a little bit more. I'm, I, as, as John alluded to, I'm, I'm 46 years old. Thank you for telling everybody. Um, and, and so I'm, I'm not as young as I used to be. But I remember when it was just common. I went to public school all my life. Where'd you go to church? It was just common. It was socially acceptable to talk about that. Well, now it's not. And can I just say that? It's a good thing it's not. Because there's an opportunity for gospel advancement, not traditionalism or culture, to advance. And so much of Christianity has become cultural, that it's missed sight or lost sight of really what makes us Christians is the gospel. Not dressing up in your Sunday best. Not saying the right thing. Not just believing the right things and not following them, but actually loving Jesus Christ. And so, this is the day and age that they live in, and this is the day and age that we live in. And we must, as Christians, we must be reminded that God will one day make all things new. And so that means our our trajectory in terms of what we're giving our lives to is not to try to make all things new now. Because God is the one who will make all things new. We're called to be preservative agents in the world. No question about it. God has called us to be salt and light. But we're not to make nirvana here. There's a reason why heaven's not here. It's because that's where God is. To have heaven and not have God is not heaven. And this is the point of what this book is all about. It's encouraging Christians. Listen. Don't let go. Don't give up on the gospel. In a sense, the simple message that transformed your life. Don't let it go because there is great reward for holding on to it. So this is what this book is all about. Now, I'm going to go ahead and for those who are doing projection, please forgive me in advance. I'm going to skip all over the place for the sake of time. And, and you will love me for that, I'm sure. Here's what will encourage us to live faithfully for Jesus, brothers and sisters. And this is where our hope is found. So read with me, if you would, the end of the book of Revelation. We're going to read the entire chapter 21, and we're going to conclude in chapter 22, verse 5. This is the word of the Lord. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth have passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Verse 5. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, look, write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I 
am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for the murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the, in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Verse 9. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with twelve gates, and at the gates twelve angels, and on the gates the names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies four square, its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with its rod, with his rod, twelve thousand stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits, by human measurement, which is also an age angel's measurement as well, just in case you were wondering. Verse 18. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold, clear as glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third, the third, agate, the fourth, emerald, the fifth, onyx, the sixth, carnelian, the seventh, chrysolite, the eighth, beryl, the ninth, topaz, the, the tenth, christophrase, the eleventh, jacinth, the twelfth, amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, transparent as glass. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. For its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring, to, bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Verse uh, 1, chapter 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Through the middle of the street, excuse me, of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their forehead, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, 
for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Christians, I believe, are to live daily with the hope that He, God, will make all things new, which is what this passage is talking about. If you would, would you bow your heads with me? just want to pray briefly and know this. This is only introductory. Okay, you may hear me for a while and think, wow, that's introductory. Wow, that's long-winded, Jason. Trust me, there's so much more that can be said. Okay, there's so much more that I'm not going to be able to touch on completely here today. But let's pray and ask the Spirit of God to attend His Word. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You that it's preserved for us to not just instruct us, but to encourage us and to give us hope. And I pray for any of us, Lord, really, I pray for all of us, as Christians, we have the, there's the temptation to grow weary. There's the tendency to grow weary. And so, Father, I pray that you'd use your word to encourage your saints. Lord, that we will, Lord, in a very real sense, Lord, because of the hope that you have freshly infused into us by your word, Lord, that our lives would serve as testimonies to your glorious grace through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, please do this, I pray. Lord, and I pray for everyone present that you'd give them one thing. Lord, that you're calling them to either believe, to turn from, or to do. Lord, one thing. Be good to us today, we pray. We ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, again, I've titled this message, All Things New. It's broken down, really, into two main sections. The first thing is that we see and we hear three announcements. And secondly, we see features of this city. And, and John goes through great lengths to describe the features of the city of the city as well. So let's go ahead and let's look again at verses 1 and 2, chapter uh, 21. And, it, and John says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. John's saying, I can literally see it. He's on the island of Patmos. Okay, They had tried to boil him alive, was the, the designated and prescribed torture. He didn't die. So they went ahead and isolated him on the island of Patmos, and he is literally seeing this. He's saying to us, it's amazingly stunning. Everything has been gloriously remade. The New Jerusalem, God's city, looks like the radiance of a pure bride adorned for her husband, decorated with all flawless jewels, and dressed to accentuate all the facets of her splendor. Now, it's important to clarify that when John is saying and talking about, writing about this announcement of newness, it doesn't mean that God destroys the earth and then starts all again with some new raw material. See, that same word new in the Greek is kanos. And we see it in other places in the New Testament, which means that something has been qualitatively transformed in a fundamental way. Now think about Paul. When he writes in 2 Corinthians, which is a series that we're currently in right now back home, he says uh, in 2 Corinthians 5.17 that if anyone is in Christ, he is what? A new creation. Behold, 
behold, the old has passed away and the new has come. All right, so in that sense, have, have you guys been obliterated when you came to Christ and then you're new? Okay, that would be really freaky. All right, uh, especially if you're married, that may not be a good thing, okay? Um, look at who I got now. No, um, so no, that's not what Paul is saying and that's not what, what uh, John is saying either, okay? There's, there's a qualitative change that takes place at conversion with, within us as Christians, inwardly. We experience a new relationship with God that we've never known before. Prior to conversion, we were enemies of God. Post-conversion, not just friends, we are loved by God. Not just bros, not just sisters, loved. We are his sons and daughters. We receive a new heart. We have a new way of living for Jesus, who for our sake died and was raised on our behalf. Think of the relationship, if you will, new uh, between a caterpillar and a butterfly. It's made from the same substance, yet fundamentally it's transformed in a beautiful way. Now, because of the annihilation of sin, the earth and heaven will be transformed in a perfectly new way. And can I say this? For God, to rather than to obliterate and start again, but to remake, even magnifies his brilliance and his glory that much more. Because only God can do that. Think of all the landfills that are throughout the world. And then parks are built over them. God doesn't throw it away. He remakes it. He makes it into the very thing it was intended to from the very beginning. Now, if you're like me, when I read scripture, when I have my quiet times, I'm always asking this question, so what? Honestly, if I'm reading scripture, I, I there should be something that's taking place because I believe fundamentally it's God's word addressing me. It's not me evaluating God's word. Do I like this? Do I not like this? No, it's so what? And it's so what really is this. Are there things that I'm called to believe that I'm not believing? Are there things that, I, that God is pressing upon me that I need to turn from, that, I, that Scripture would say repent from? Or are there things that he is calling me to do in light of the Scripture? So what? Well, right here, so what? Can I ask you this? Are you confident that God has the power to bring forth beauty from the ashes in your life? Right now. Does God have that kind of power? He's going to make all things new. Does he have the power to take the worst moments and reverse them into something that is beautiful? As Christians, we're called to wrestle because God doesn't waste anything. Not sickness, not death, not divorce. He does not waste a thing. Now, John... His voice is followed by another voice. And we see this in verses 3 through 4. Now this voice, the second voice, is left unidentified by John. But it's loud and it's given an announcement. And it's very loud for some very good reasons. Look in verses 3 and 4 again. It says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself 
God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. What John is doing here is this other voice from the throne is heralding the culmination of God's redemptive plan. The completion, if you will, of the entire storyline of the Bible. You guys have done Genesis, did Exodus, getting ready to do Leviticus. Let me go ahead and just fast forward, okay? The culmination of the grand overarching storyline of all Scripture is creation, fall, redemption. And then we see in Revelation, Creation, all things were created and it was In chapter 3 of Genesis, we see the fall of mankind as Adam and Eve rebelled against God, disobeyed his decrees, and ate of the fruit. In Jesus, we see redemption, where God really says, look, death is the penalty for sin. Jesus has come. He has paid your debt. His death, and now death has been completely undone of its power. Because for Christians, there's no more death. Here we are listening to the consummation of God's grand reversal of all that was broken by sin. Throughout history, God provided faint pictures of this fellowship with his creation being restored. We see it in the creation of the tabernacle. We see it in the creation of the temple where God would dwell in the midst of his people, Israel, within the confines of the most holy of holy. And through Jesus' death for sin and his resurrection, Christians have been given a taste of direct fellowship with God without actually seeing him. Ezekiel prophesied this, saying, My dwelling place shall be with them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. See, the gospel's intended outcome points to this day where Emmanuel, God with us, will have his people with him forever. Now, it's a marvelous to see the effect of God's presence and the effect that it has on his people. What does God do? What is he prepared to do? It says that he will console them. He's wiping away their tears of hardship. All the pain, the temporal death will be no more. Nor will there be mourning, nor crying over regrets or suffering. I do believe there will be tears. Tears of joy. Tears of happiness. No tears of suffering. No tears of regret. No tears because of pain anymore. For all these former things will be completely gone. Think Adam and Eve. Before the fall. Pure Hindered fellowship with God. Nothing got in the way. Incredible joy. This is what God is doing. He's reversing all that was broken. And he's making all things new. I love the fact that, that John, this voice, and that John records this, that, that God's here in his tenderness to wipe away your tears. It is so comforting. 
just said, brother and sister, if, if you are crying and there is struggle in your life, can I encourage you? God sees and He cares. He is ready. He is not unfeeling of the pain that you experience as you patiently wait for the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And He's prepared to dry our tears. Brothers and sisters, can I ask this question? There are great benefits, but can I ask us this question? Do you long for His presence or only the benefits of His presence? There's a huge difference. Do you long for His presence or do you long for the benefits? Oh, no more pain, no more suffering. That's great. Sign me up. Or do you long for His presence? That is more important. And all these things will be added. Now, John and this voice from the throne make announcement, but it's time for God to join His voice and to strengthen our hope. Look in verses 5 through 7. I will, I promise, speed up a little bit for those of you who are Father's Day lunches are waiting. Uh, verses 5 through 7. And, and He who was seated on the throne, God, said, Behold, I'm making all things new. Also, He said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son or daughter. Now, imagine, if you will, John's mouth just agape wide open in all of what he's seeing and hearing. I think that's the reality of what's taking place for John because God has to stop and say, listen, I know you're impressed with everything, but write this down. Remember what you're doing. You're writing it down to to live beyond you, to encourage my people in 2018. Write it down. And write it down because it is so certain. It is guaranteed. God even says this, It's not just a fact. It's already a done deal. It is done. Now, as Christians, we live, and as mortal beings, we live within the confines of space-time continuum. God does not. He sees everything historically equally. He was equally present everywhere on the face of the earth throughout all time. Now, try to grapple with that. Because we have a hard time being present here right now, don't we? But God is there. And because He's outside of these confines, He can authoritatively say, Listen, John, it's done. You just don't see it yet. This is what God is saying. Christian, this is huge. It's not a question of, you know what, is this just pie in the sky that some preacher just gets up there every once in a while and says, hey, listen, go ahead and forego temporal pleasures because one day you're going to have, and you know, and you're wondering, okay, what's the catch here? Okay. Does he have an angle? There's no angle. This is truth. It's done. To, To go ahead and stamp it even more, listen to how God describes himself. Okay, in, in many ways, and actually, it read in, in, in Exodus 34 earlier, 
who God is. The Lord, the Lord. Okay? Well, here, listen to how God, and he could have described himself in any way imaginable, but he chose this. Listen to this. I am the Alpha and the Omega. That is the first letter in the Greek alphabet and the last letter in the Greek alphabet. It's like when we say to someone, listen, vacation plans covered, A to Z, got it done. Just show up. Just be there. God, hey, I'm the master planner. You want to talk about administration? I got it all worked out. No small detail, unattended to. I'm the alpha and the omega. Seriously, think about it. There are times in our lives where we do wonder in our foolishness and in our own arrogance. God, are you even there? Do you know what you're doing? Or, God, just throw me a bone. Instead of going from one trial to another. Here you go. He's the Alpha in the Omega. He knows what he's doing. He also says this. I'm the beginning and the end. Meaning, he's eternal and there is nothing beyond his ability to control and to complete. And then he continues. He says, I myself will as see this life giver i will give and satisfy the thirsty freely from the abundance of my creative and passionate abilities with access to the water of eternal life and to the faithful they will receive this new earth and new heaven as their inheritance as my children what an inheritance him that Christians remember the contrast, though, that God isn't just willy-nilly. God's also just. Not unjust. See, when God chooses to show his mercy and his grace, he's delaying his justice. Okay? But he's not unjust. Because it says in verse 8, but as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. See, for Christians, we are called to faithfully and patiently wait for the fulfillment of the consummation of all things to occur. See, our hope isn't if, but when. Huge difference. Our hope isn't if, but when. But if you are an unbeliever, if you are an unbeliever, God in his kindness, in talking about the consummation of all things, addresses you. See, the fact that you're even able to hear this now is because of his mercy. And his provision, you don't have to experience birthing. You don't have to. You can turn from your arrogant and prideful ways that says either one, God does not exist and so it doesn't matter, or, or the second, God exists, but I can placate him. I can pay my debt on my own. While the background music of your life is Frank Sinatra's, I did it my way. God's not going to play. That's not the soundtrack that he has. See, the lake of fire and sulfur is a real place, just as real of a place as heaven and the new earth. 
inheritance is for Christians. But if you do turn, if you do confess that Jesus paid the penalty that your sins deserve on a cross in your place and trust that that is the only hope that you have, the only ability that you have to be uh, reconciled to a holy God, to be forgiven of all of your sins, to be justified in His sight, to be cleansed, to be adopted into His family, then you shall be saved. It's simple, yet profound. For only the Spirit can open our eyes to these things. But if He is, my encouragement is, as we've heard already twice this morning, we don't have tomorrow guaranteed to us. So please, while mercy can be found, receive it. For Christians, Let me ask us this. How does the fact that God will make all things new affect your confident trust in Him as you walk through temporal hardship or suffering? How does that inform? Paul says that our trials are momentary and light compared to this. Compared to eternity, he's absolutely right. See, this remaking of all things new is meant to function for us now as Christians. Christians are called, we are called to live daily with the hope that he will make all things new. God announced this newness and now he's also given us a glimpse of of its features. Now, in verses 9 through uh, chapter 22, verse 5, uh, there's so many features. I'm going to highlight only two of them. Okay? kind of bring this to a close so that we can understand a little bit more of what God's doing. But here's one of the things I do want us to, to recognize. Um, I was trained originally as an elementary school teacher. And some of you are saying, oh, it makes sense now. Um, but one of the things you do, okay, is with, with young children is that you don't teach conceptually. You teach from concrete, okay? Because kids don't have the ability, the mental capacity, to go ahead and conceptualize things. Okay, but you give them things that are concrete, and they can manipulate them. They can see it and say, yes, this works. Two plus two does equal four. Okay, it's not a theory. You're not teaching algebra to first graders, okay? All right? So in a sense, because we are mortal, God says, look, I want to encourage you so much, I'm going to give you some concrete terms. I'm going to show you this is real. This is physical. You can Touch this. And I love driving. My daughter and I, when we, were, when we came around the curve of, I think it was 130, and then all of a sudden we see the skyline of Philadelphia. All right? I, I love the city of Philadelphia, but, but maybe you, you like New York City or what have you. And that's fine. Okay? Just don't like the Yankees or the Mets. Um, but, 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 the, amen. There you go. I got one. Okay. Okay. Anyway. Um, okay. But you see the skyline off in the distance, and it captures your gaze, doesn't it? Okay, your attention. It could be a dangerous thing if you're driving, but uh, if you can multitask, it's great. It's a great thing. This is what John's experiencing right here. Okay, John is given a marvelous vantage point to truly appreciate the magnificent features of this new Jerusalem that's being uh, that is being placed uh, here on the earth. Now he's placed on top of a mountain by an angel, where he describes. Here, so many things that are loaded with symbolism and metaphors, and there's a couple that I want to make sure we don't miss. 
Okay, he is trying to stretch human language to accommodate accommodate the view of how grand the consummation of all things really will be. Now, there are some things that are just difficult, if you read this again, that are just plain difficult for us to wrap our minds around about this new Jerusalem. Like, how can this city that has physical dimensions coming down from heaven, yet at the same time be the bride of Christ, which are God's people? Please scratch your head on that. Okay? It's important. Scratch. Not a problem. Okay? Here's the thing with Revelation. And here's where I think people get tripped up. Okay? In reading Revelation, whatever is obscure shouldn't frighten or overly preoccupy us. Because there is plenty that is clear in God's revelation to his people. Okay? So don't be overly preoccupied with certain things that you're going be frightened. Be sober. But there's plenty that is clear in God's revelation. What is revealed is ultimately intended to bless, not to confuse God's people. Okay? This isn't this magical book where you have to have this super grid or anything like that and do national treasure type things and, and see your Bible with all this other thing. No. Okay? That's not what Scripture is about. Alright? And not this book either. Now, there are two main features that John records for our encouragement and expectancy. The first is that this city is full of life. It literally radiates life. Okay, repeatedly, John is overwhelmed by it. Excuse me. Just look at all these references. Verse 11. Having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper clear as crystal. Verse 23. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. Verse 24, by its light will the nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it and its gates will never be shut by day and there will be no night there. And no night, verse 5, will be there anymore. They will need no light of lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. Pure light illumines the city because of the purity and the brilliant radiance of the character, the very character of God himself. See, everything that comes into contact with God's presence absorbs and reflects. Think of Moses. Comes down from Mount Sinai. Hey, dude, shade yourself. Can't look at you. You shine. You are radiating something. Put a veil over yourself. Think of Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. His face and his clothing glowed of dazzling white that chlorine has never been able to duplicate. Now, throughout history, light has been associated with this. Throughout Scripture, goodness, warmth, comfort, safety, protection, ethical purity. Don't we want this? Don't we long for this? See, God's very presence makes the sun and the moon obsolete. Now, is it really surprising that light is such a prominent feature in the New Jerusalem? See, for the seven churches, this would have been so encouraging to them because most attacks came under the cover of darkness. Where was Jesus the night he was betrayed? Notice, night. Psalm 130. More than watchmen for the morning, I long. Why? Because if you're a watchman, you're constantly looking to see who might attack you. 
can't see very far because it's dark. It's scary. See, when God makes all things new, there will never be there will be the distinct absence of fear and worry. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that so comforting? See, for us, this will be uplifting for us as well because there will be light forever. And second feature is that the city is perfectly united. See, in verses 12 through 21, we're given the description of high walls that are 144 cubits in thickness and with 12 gates that each bear the name of the 12 tribes of Israel with the walls result resting on foundations, 12 foundations of precious stones with each layer bearing the names upon each layer, the names of the 12 apostles of Jesus Christ. See, the very dimensions of the New Jerusalem are in perfect proportionality. It is a cube, 12,000 stadia by 12,000 by 12,000. 12,000 would be the equivalent of what we have today, this is estimated, of 1,400 miles. So imagine this, driving from Philadelphia a little bit past Lincoln, Nebraska. Not that you want to, but in case you do. Okay, Lincoln, Nebraska is about 1,350 miles. I couldn't find another decent city that you guys would recognize beyond that. Okay, small one. Somebody lives there. God bless them. Okay, imagine going south. Anybody like Miami? Okay, love Miami. All right, um, Miami, you actually would go down and you go past Miami and you'd be in the sea. Because to get to Miami from Philadelphia is only 1,181 miles. So you still have to go. What, another 220 miles? Puerto Rico, there we go. All right. That's just to give you some space understanding of how massive this city is. Massive. You can imagine the mountain that John must have been put on. Mount Everest, perhaps. Or something like it. Just to be able to see all of this. Now, But notice the importance. See, everything is massively perfect, but the importance of the number 12 and its corresponding multiples. So you have 12 gates, which signifies abundant access to God, absolute protection from any danger. Okay? Then you have the 12 names on these gates that carry the 12 tribes, the names of the 12 tribes of Israel, emphasizing the perfect continuity between God's people in the Old Testament who looked ahead in faith that God would send a Redeemer and they were saved. And then the walls of the city. They rest on 12 foundations of the apostles of Jesus and the New Testament church who by faith look back, not forward, but back at what Jesus has already accomplished for us through His saving work on our behalf through his incarnation, his sinless life, his sacrificial death, his amazing resurrection and ascension. See, there is no discontinuity between the old and the new. I'm not going to name anybody, but please, if anybody says the Old Testament doesn't matter anymore, don't listen to them anymore. It's not true. Because here we see in the very city of God, there's a continuity And God goes through great pains to make sure we understand. Don't jettison the one from the other. They work together. See, even the precious stones that make up the foundation of the city are the exact same stones that are found on the breastplate. Excuse me. Sorry, as I keep doing that. The breastplate that the high priest wore on the Day of Atonement. 
you remember when he would go into the Holy of Holies one day a year to offer sacrifice for all the sins of the people of Israel. He would go there dressed in all this finest, but there would be a breastplate, and on those stones would be the names of the twelve tribes of Israel. Well, now we see the names, those stones, but now the apostles' names are on them. See, this perfect unity of this city is so amazing that not, John notes, listen, you don't want to know what's not there? There's no temple. Because the Lord Almighty and the Lamb are the city's temple. Everybody has access to Him. You don't go to a special place. He's there. Another example of the city's perfection is the restoration of Eden. See, paradise was once lost, but now has been completely restored. As we even see, remember the tree of life? that God guarded Adam and Eve from, when they sinned, He cast them out of the garden, lest they live forever in their sin. Now we see the tree of life with 12 types of fruit on it each month, bearing fruit. Now another display of perfect unity in the city is the vision of nations coming into the New Jerusalem. See, His people will retain their ethnic and cultural distinctions, and we will live together in perfect harmony. I love this. I love the fact that if you speak Spanish, you're going to be praising the Lord in Spanish. If you speak Russian, you're going to be praising the Lord in Russian. If you speak English, you're going to be praising the Lord in English. Somehow, we'll all know what each other is We're not jettisoning our culture. But the differences in our culture even glorify God all the more. See, there's also a perfect unity in, in its scene in what's not there. There will be no sanitation engineers in the New Jerusalem. There will be no garbage. There will be no trash because there will be nothing that's unclean or false. That means there's going to be no more racism. That means there will be no more sin and selfish ambition. That means there will be no more abuse. That means as well there will be no more bickering and fighting between Christians. There will be no more pride. There will be no more gossip. There will be no more slander. There will be no more covetousness. There will be no more deceit. There will be no more division. See, the perfect unity of the city of the city for the first century church would have overwhelmed them. This imagery. See, one major way would have been their fidelity to the gospel of Jesus Christ. What's the foundation of the city? The gospel. It's what these twelve apostles preached and died. One major way would have been the very, excuse me, one major way would have been their fidelity to the gospel of Jesus Christ, which would have been the very dimensions, again, the cities and the facets of the city that shout that there really is only one way to God, and that is through Jesus Christ. There is no other way. Now ask us this. Every time I read this passage, these are the, this is the question that keeps coming to me is if the gospel is the very foundation of the New Jerusalem, 
what am I building my life upon right now? If, if somehow the gospel has become a catchphrase and now it doesn't move you like it used to. Brother and sister, can I plead with you in this class? Because I, I can relate. But can I plead with you in this class? It's not because the gospel is left familiar. The gospel has not lost its power. We've somehow drifted. We've grown comfortable. We've grown complacent with what is truly amazing. See, the gospel of Jesus Christ is not social justice. It's not caring for the poor. Those are great things. The gospel, in essence, form is reconciliation to a holy God that we had no business being reconciled to. No way of achieving it on our own. Every one of us objects, worthy objects of his love. And yet in his mercy he saved us. Now I, I grew up in the church but one of the things I am so grateful for that God is doing in my life continuously is that I I still don't get why He saved me. Can I be honest? I would not cross the street to save you, knowing how sinful I am, knowing how fickle I am, knowing how unfaithful I am, knowing how quick I am to go ahead and worry, then express faith to God and pray and ask Him to move. Knowing all of these things about me, I wouldn't walk across the street to save me. And yet, in God's amazing mercy, didn't just come across the street. He left glory to come in the form of man, taking on my flesh, walking amongst people who never revered Him for who He truly was. And when it came time for Him to die on a cross, if there's any way to take this cup from me, but nevertheless, not my will, but Your will, Heavenly Father, be done. And Jesus was willingly climbed on the cross. Not to not to experience some physical torture, but to experience the full, unmitigated wrath of God for my sin. Seeing me with his mind's eye, I do this for you, Jason. Can you hear the Lord? I do this for you, Matthew. I do this for you, Jenny. We're not amazed. The gospel is not lost its power. Take it the sign that you've drifted. And here's the beauty. We can come back to the Lord and say, God, please forgive me for taking this so much for granted. Please forgive me for being casual. Maybe I've dulled my conscience by a casual indulgence with sin. Just doing the the, the reformed way of, well, you know what? Grace covers everything. And not caring about how we're living for the Lord. Pray. Ask the Lord. 
forgive me and replace and clean my heart and make it soft again. I want that amazement. I'm grateful that I'm not asking the Lord for a first love because my first love was so immature. I have far more understanding of who God is now at 46 than I did when I was a young child. But, but, I still want to be amazed like that young child. And the gospel is the foundation that we are called to live our lives upon. It's a matter of first importance. And the features of this city are light and unity. I'm going to close with this. God reveals the consummation of the end, end of time to Christians to strengthen our endurance, to cling to, and to hope that He will make all things new. The greatest expression of all things being made new is the fact of verse 4 in chapter 2. We will see His face, and His name will be on our foreheads. It's a joy right now. We're going to transition in response to God's word through the breaking of bread, through the celebration of the Lord's table together. And I would encourage all of you, if you are a Christian, if you are somebody who has placed your trust and your confidence in Jesus Christ, please participate in the sacred meal that God has laid out for Christians that we would remember, that we won't forget, that we would be amazed. If you are not, if you are not someone who is unsure, perhaps, we had asked, in Scripture we would ask, please refrain. Please observe, but please refrain. Because you don't want to take this meal in an unworthy manner. So, ushers, if you would come forward. And while you do, I'm going to continue. See, we will see Jesus' face. And he will look, Jesus will look upon his people with joy and delight. That's what it says. With joy and delight. Like a bride. When she's married, takes on the name of her husband, we too, as Christians, will be given his name in all fullness. And there's nothing greater than being with Jesus. as you are having the elements distributed, I want to encourage us to consistently meditate on the consummation of all things being new. It's there in Scripture to strengthen, to provide a hope that really bolsters us as we think about the future, whatever God calls us to. I encourage us as well, as Christians, that we would talk about heaven together. That we take time to learn more about it and to cultivate a longing for it because we truly are hope-shaped creatures. What we hope in, that we will believe and that we will live for. Reading again in verse 4, chapter 22. They will see his face, 
and his name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever with him. As we prepare to take the Lord's Supper together, these physical elements are to remind us of what Jesus has done. And we are doing it in light of what is what is to come for us as believers. And that is the seeing of the consummation of all things. Reading from the Gospel of Luke says this of Jesus, and he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Would you please partake of the, of the bread? And likewise, Jesus took the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is a new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. Please partake of the cup. I'd like to pray, if that's okay, John. Father, we thank you for your word, and again, that it is living and active. Um, Lord, can't plumb the depth of this, of what you are doing and what you have already done for us. Um, But what we do want to do is we want to, in light of all that awaits us, God, we want to live for you. Uh, We want to live in love for you. We want to demonstrate that in everything we do, whether it be in thought, whether it be in word, whether it be in deed. Because we know we have a hope, a sure foundation. Lord, and this hope will never disappoint. Because we know, Lord, there is a day coming where we will physically see you. And we will be with you. And there will be no night anymore forever, eternal day. Lord, I pray that you would whet our appetite even more. Lord, and as we live, Lord, that we would live tomorrow, Thursday afternoon, in light of this great truth that you are making all things and will make all things new. Help us, Father, we ask in your name. And all God's people say, Amen. Thank you so much for your attention. Two words that I wrote down here, absorb and reflect. Today we had the opportunity to absorb God's word. And I want to encourage you today as your pastor to go out there into our culture, even if it's hostile to God, and reflect Jesus to people who are dead in their trespasses and sins, who need to hear the gospel Because there's power in the gospel. That the God of this world who has blinded their eyes would flee and their eyes would be open. And they would be saved.
I met you, every one of you could think of someone in your mind right now who is not a believer. Someone maybe you work with, you live next door to. Pray for them this week. And tell them about King Jesus, who can save them and set them free from their sin. Go in peace and grace. Amen.